I, I'm kind of burning out of the field. I'm going to work with people who are, who are burnt out. That's what I'm going to do. And it ended up that um, the people who were burnt out were like me, that they had to reduce their hours and weren't making as much money. It's like, oh, okay, this, this maybe isn't the niche that I'm looking for. And every time I do a presentation on burnout, parents would come to me and say, no, I'm burnout. Tell me about parental burnout. I don't care about this employment burnout. Tell me about parental burnout because I'm starting to treat my kids in a way that I don't like. I'm starting to see the monsters in myself that I don't want to see. And how do I make sure that I'm a, a parent that can get through these moments um, really positively and, and be better, um, even though this is so gosh darn hard. And I went, all right, well, if that's, if that's what the world needs, you know, let's, let's shift it over. And I started um, taking the research and seeing where can we apply it beyond where it has been applied before. Welcome to Dads and Deadlifts podcast with me, your host, Rish. This podcast is to raise awareness around the social stigma of the word man up. Research has shown men are less likely to seek help for trauma, abuse, neglect, addictions, and mental illness because they will be perceived as weak. Research had directly or indirectly linked these problems to the social and cultural perceptions of the word man up. It's time to start a conversation and redefine this word man up. Each week, you will be hearing from men and women all around the world who survived emotional abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, and addictions, and how they came out on the other side with triumph to begin a new chapter. You will also hear from experts and coaches all around the globe on matters like brain health, psychology of men and women, holistic healing, fitness, and last but not least, what it takes to be a man, overcoming the social stigma and expectations, and tap into your individual unique authenticity and vulnerability. Thank you for joining me in this mission to serve men around the world and letting them know they are not alone in this. Welcome to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts with me, your host, Rish. Our guest today is Kelly Siphon. She's a BCBA, or in other words, certified behavioral analyst, and own her own uh, company. And we will get a little bit more into detail about that for helping kids and parents to understand different behaviors and how we can use that data to really make some changes in, in the life of others. So without further ado, let's welcome Kelly Siphon to Dads and Deadlifts. Kelly, welcome to the show. Hi, Rish. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, thank you. The honor is all mine because uh, when I saw that what you do, I clearly knew that I have to bring you on and uh, kind of pick your brain a little bit of what you are doing and uh, amazing things. And uh, we had a discovery call and definitely want to bring that up a little bit so that my listeners can understand where you really came from and how you got uh, into all this. So what's your story? Oh, <laughs> that's such a big question. I know. So I think the, the important parts of my story for what we're talking about today is, is looking at how I got into behavior analysis, which was kind of a, a trip and fall approach. I, I started in, in school and as, as a high schooler, I worked in mentoring for kiddos that were having a really hard time in middle school. So I, I worked with um, a friend that had some severe burns. Um, I had another friend that was very shy, another that had some um, development issues in their legs. So they were, they were slightly different lengths, different little things that just makes it, makes that transition from middle school to high school really hard and um, joined them in, in a mentorship program and helping them find a really good way to, to move forward. And in that moment, I had no idea that this was going to be similar to what I would do in the long run. I was, I was dead set on farming. That's what I was going to do. I was going to farm. And I spent 
couple of years being um, involved in agriculture. Um, I went and got my master's in education, tried teaching, tried all sorts of different things. And um, I was working at one particular farm. They got me connected with a couple of the groups um, that they were working with. So it was a rescue farm for wild horses and abused horses and other abused farm animals. And they were bringing in groups of veterans with PTSD. They were bringing in groups of um, just general therapy. And then specifically, they brought me in on a group of kiddos that were in a group home because of physical abuse, sexual abuse, or gang-related violence. And I absolutely loved working with these kids and watching them work with the horses and seeing what we could do to, to give them a safe place to work through a lot of what they've been through was just beautiful. From there, they said, you know, how about you take this group of kids with special needs? We've got a group of kids with um, cerebral palsy, autism, and Down syndrome. And, you know, if you've, you've got this master's in education, you're qualified. And I'm going, I'm what? <laughs> Are you sure? Um, and this, this amazing group of kids came and we did all sorts of great stuff together. And we were able to work on teamwork and communication and all these wonderful things. And I realized that although we were getting a lot of cool stuff done, I really wanted to be better for them, better for all of those kids, no matter what they had been through or what sort of diagnostics they had or didn't have, I really wanted to be better. And I found a job in behavior analysis, uh, specifically working with autistic kids, and it was wonderful. I, I just loved playing with these kids and helping them find new ways to communicate and, and get their needs met and work through some really difficult behaviors and change it into really phenomenal um, adaptive choices that they could, that they could use to uh, make their way in the world. And so I sort of, you know, tripped and fell and moved a little this way and this happened to happen and that happened to work. And it's it's brought me to where I am today. Wow, that's that's I, I of course you kind of overall uh, gave the macro view, and of course I heard the, a little bit detailed version. But yeah. uh, really, I mean that's just uh, amazing that uh, sometimes it's a synchronicity, right? Like how you wanted to go completely in a different way, and you found your passion and purpose through that. So fast forward. Uh, so now you are running your own organization. Mm -hmm. uh, you only have one, right? One uh, location, right? Or you guys one have location? One? Okay. And so, tell me, like, how how has that journey been uh, from the start? And then we'll get into more detail and what your organization does. And then we'll get into more detailed questions of uh, you know, like throughout this episode. Certainly. So when I started this company, my first thought was. I, I'm kind of burning out of the field. I'm going to work with people who are, who are burnt out. That's what I'm going to do. And it ended up that um, the people who were burnt out were like me, that they had to reduce their hours and weren't making as much money. It's like, oh, okay, this, this maybe isn't the niche that I'm looking for. And every time I do a presentation on burnout, parents would come to me and say, no, I'm burnout. Tell me about parental burnout. I don't care about this employment burnout. Tell me about parental burnout because I'm starting to treat my kids in a way that I don't like. I'm starting to see the monsters in myself that I don't want to see. And how do I make sure that I'm a, a parent that can get through these moments um, really positively and, and be better um, even though this is so gosh darn hard. And I went, all right, well, if that's if that's what the world needs, you know, let's, let's shift it over. And I started, um, taking the research and seeing where can we apply it beyond where it has been applied before and, and follow those same lines of science to apply to kiddos regardless of diagnosis and regardless of what they're, they're going through, what the families are going through and, and see how we can help. So now what, we, what we've come to is we help parents overcome challenging behavior through skill building programs and play and we offer all sorts of different programs, everything from potty training boot camps to helping with um, virtual school to those classic programs where we've got a kiddo that's having really severe tantrums or really severe aggression or self-injury. And we help them work into, again, that, that communication and that self-regulation and help the family as a whole heal through those moments and get to a more positive place. 
So you were working directly with the kids and the families at the same time, right? Absolutely. So is it part of like, how, how do you, uh, how do people find you? I guess that's what my question is because I'm, I'm trying to figure out the business model. Uh, is it something that uh, goes through a school district or is it something that instead of going to a therapist, they're coming to you? That's a really good question. So that's something that in the beginning I kind of struggled with, like how people, when they think of behavior analysis, quite often think of, of autism care, like that's the, the pigeonhole that the field is in. And so we had to get out there and go, you know, behavior is behavior. Everybody might need some support sometimes that you don't need a diagnosis to need some support to get through something. So how do we make sure the world knows that? And part of that is podcasts. Part of that is getting on Instagram and Facebook. We're very active there. Um, part of that is doing interviews on um, local news. And a lot of it is offering uh, as much for free as we can and um, working through referrals because almost all of our parents either are from a referral or have made a referral. And I gotta tell you, you can't ask for, for more honor than, than to have that. Yes, no, uh, I think like the referral business and the referral itself is a is, is something like a certification. And I think like it's it's a lot of honor for sure. I agree with that. So, okay. So I really wanted to know, like uh, one of the listeners to know before we start getting into it, like who am I speaking to? What do you do and how you're helping? So let's kind of get into the meat of it here. Um, so, you know, this podcast, you know, the platform and you know, the awareness that I'm trying to raise through my podcast. Um, and with this, all the social stigmas that we see, right? Like, you know, how uh, people, other kids uh, basically are uh, uh, in it, basically, right? You know, like, because no one told us and the next generation is basically carrying the, so you're co constantly passing that uh, thing. So what do you see when you see a lot of these kids are like, are they really affected uh, by individuals, uh, race, colors, religion? Because there's, I'm assuming there's a lot of part to play in it, right? Like how they're raised and who their parents are, whatnot. And uh, how, how do you guys handle that? Uh, how do you normally uh, give parents the tools uh, to handle that? That is such a big and beautiful question, Rish. Like there's so many different parts to raising a child that comes down to our culture and comes down to some things that are really held dear and not all of those things remain helpful. And they're the best tool we have in our moments perhaps, but is it a tool that we wanna pass on? Is it something we wanna to continue to do even though it's a part of our culture? And I'm, um, I'm stationed in the South, I'm in North Carolina. So there's a lot like with corporal punishment that is very ingrained in culture, both in um, the location itself, being in the South, there's a lot of different pieces of race. There's a lot of different pieces of religion where we see crossover of, of certain tools being used culturally. So how do I, as a, a white female come in and go, hello, I have a different culture than you and I'm I'm pretty much telling you you're wrong in that moment. I'm not, but imagine how that could feel if I'm going, you need to try something different. Well, that could feel like, hi, I'm telling you you're wrong. And that's not a good, that's not a good way to move forward. Right. Um, parents use the tools that are best in the moment and I can respect that. And there's so much culture and so many things behind the tools that we choose to use. But we do need to look at how can we take what we want to be as parents and what we want to have our children be and how do we make that change now and how do I as a practitioner meet you where you're at and talk about the tools that you're using and how we can remain respectful to your culture to the things that mean the most to you and to your family values because those shouldn't change while making sure that we are creating that next generation the way we want it to look. Um, and I don't mean the way I want it to look. I mean, the way that parents want it to look. Because if you if you ask a parent, um, very rare will they ever say, I hope that, you know, my child hits their children. It's it's not something that um, that we want for the world. It's, I have nothing else I can do, or this is the only way they're listening, or they really need to be taught a lesson, therefore I'm using these tools. 
Um, so it's it's a really delicate conversation, Rish. It's it's very it's a humbling conversation. It's a it's a forward conversation. It's one that I have regularly, but every time I I'm very much humbled by. Because you don't know, right? Like where they're also coming from, the perceptions are different. And uh, given, given as you said, like, you know, there's a lot of layers to just having these tools. This can be uh, spar of the moment, as you said, like the best tools for the moment. And the, the reason it comes from might be how they're raised, how parents are raised, um, what they have seen, their experience, their way of, their limiting beliefs, their mindset, whatnot. There's so many, I understand that. And um, so, how do you, what's your advice? I guess that's that's probably a better question. What's your advice for parents who are carrying on some of these uh, negative stigma and unknowingly passing this? Because as you said, like, that's just how, that's what they know. They don't know better. And I know when you, when they come to you, now you are intervening and you are actually working together and uh, showing them the other side. And I'll get to that, how do you do that? But uh, so what What will be your advice when parents are overwhelmed, especially with this times, like with COVID, schools are on a lockdown, like people are working from home and I see my friends with kids. Luckily, I have a, uh, my son is a toddler and his daycare is open. Uh, but then again, so what do you tell them? Like the first couple, few things that they can do to kind of ease themselves and also kind of connect with the kid. Yeah, that's that's a big one. So the the first thing I would say is I I listen first and do as much listening as I can and make sure that I take in as much as I can as to what their situation is because you're absolutely right in this time and place we are all under an immense amount of stress and what I often hear from parents is I don't deserve this support. It, you know, someone else has it harder. I shouldn't need this. I'm a bad parent for contacting you. And this is after they've, they've chosen to contact me. So I can't imagine the other verbal behavior, the other thoughts that they had, that they had going um, before they chose to contact me. So I already know that they're in a place of uh, at least from, from the words that I hear quite often, I already know they're in a place of broken down or like, I'm not, not ready to give up, but I'm feeling like I am reaching the end of my tools and I recognize that. And we, we do our best to make space for that moment of, okay, we've, we've reached the end of your tools. That's okay. That doesn't make you a bad parent. That means we're in a crazy world right now. No one has the tools. There's, there's a reason that I have this job. It's because no one has these tools. There, there is no you know, a special book that tells you everything. Um, and my, my biggest piece of advice is to forgive yourself for not having those. And then to thank yourself for being willing to move forward to look for some. And then from there, in these times, the, the more, you know, big general piece of advice that I give a lot of parents is decide what you are going to, what, what your values are as a family? What are you gonna hold strong on no matter what? And what are those things that in these moments you need to go, you know, this this is a rubber ball, it, it can bounce. If you talk about like the glass balls and the rubber balls that you're juggling, you can't drop the glass because it'll crash, but there's a lot of rubber balls that can just bounce and you can pick them up again later, no big deal. Um, and taking the time to go, okay, this is something I can let go. So if we're looking at behavior, like, all right, my kiddo, is um, unable to do two worksheets in a row. We can only get one done and then, you know, they, they lose it. All right, we might be able to space it out. My child is, is punching another child. Yeah, that, you know, violence is maybe not what I'm feeling or, you know, for my mm -hmm. family culture, that's, that's unacceptable. All right, I'm gonna put my energy into making sure that we get that on track. And if we don't finish two worksheets today, okay, I can, I can let that go knowing what you're letting go ahead of time makes it less of a I'm losing in this moment and more of a I'm prepared for this moment and I'm making this choice. It's a response instead of a reaction. Yeah, it's always being that proactive self, right? Like kind of like ahead of the game a little bit in a way. Uh, and I learned it hard way too because I was not a planner at all myself. But now that I'm a father and a single dad, you know, I plan ahead. The reason is otherwise 
I do something which I regret later. For example, like, mm-hmm. you know, I would work all day and uh, I'll go and pick him up and Wednesday is, is my day. So I will pick him up from daycare. And there will be times, there will be days like, I'm like, okay, I got to make dinner. So the only thing you can do is just either play by yourself. And of course, guess what he chooses? He wants to watch Peppa the Pig or something on the screen. So he wants screen time, which again, I'm a very, I'm very big stickler to that. Like, no, not more than an hour. But even then I feel bad because, you know, then our time just got shortened. So I now it is a plan ahead. I'm like, okay, Wednesday, we'll either get pizza so that I can spend time with you or I'll plan ahead, I'll cook something. So I get that, like that, that planning is, and that helps us, I think, understand that it's okay. It's just like anything else. Um, it's okay to just focus on the specific, what's the priority, right? As you said, and I really loved your analogy of, um, of glass and uh, rubber ball, because I you know, I also believe like, you know, there are a few things that are glass and rubber ball, and uh, family life is like a glass ball you cannot you can drop it it'll break but now as you were telling me I was like wow I mean it's a very good way to think about it even in that glass ball there can be rubber balls right that's exactly how you see you kind of explain that that what is one thing with your kid that you need to focus on right now and then what you can let go so that you can keep yourself uh, your sanity in a way absolutely Um, another thing that you said like that just mind-boggling and again this is just goes to say when you you hear parents just talk about like oh I feel like like a bad parent just because they're reaching out because we have created this culture of feeling like I should be knowing everything otherwise I'm a failure I should have all the tools and then it just boggles me I'm like do we hear ourselves asking that we don't think twice when we go to a doctor for a surgery or for a checkup because that's not our specialty so no, being a parent, you just don't, because it's not a separate entity, we just club ourselves and we feel like I should be a know-all. You're not a know-all. This is why uh, your business model, your role exists in the society is because that's what you were supposed to do. That's what you trained yourself in. And even then, as parents, we feel it's a failure. It's just fascinating to me to hear that. Like, it just you know not in a good way of course in a bad way that that's exactly now we are passing that on to the kids too uh if you think about it that way oh yeah that I don't need help everything's fine I'm perfect yeah that definitely gets pulled through and and if we're able to model like it's okay to to make a mistake and it's okay to figure out how to fix it and to get support and to get it done we've now created a tool set for our child rather than an avoidance behavior of nope everything's fine I'm perfect I feel great the world's on fire but I'm okay I promise you know Yes, we've been that person. I mean, they will model the and they model the behavior very well. I mean, I I tell people that you know, uh, as parent is like, less talk, more work. I mean, in a way, like because they 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 can listen to you, but they're really watching you. So that's what they're gonna do. So, um, so having said that, how how do you like work with kids with really who are struggling, who are really struggling with uh not just the situation right now we are in like okay no socialization no uh activity uh in that way how are you handling that and what are some of the ways uh you can talk a little bit about how parents can work with the kids and understand at home uh that before it goes too much out of hand that they can do and not everyone has the resources or the time or the money as a matter of fact sure sure um so as as we're recognizing this moment and like you said there's so many things that we're we're missing out on that are classic to what childhood looks like most of the time and kiddos have experienced pre-covid childhood many of them and now they're experiencing a different version and it's not as fun. <laughs> there are a lot of things that are really hard. So as, as a parent or as an adult that's a, around and working with children, one of the things that I think we can look at is going through the functions of behavior and finding where the holes are and seeing where we can fill them. So in behavior analysis, we've got uh, a number of functions of behavior. We've got escape, 
I want to get out of this. I don't want to do this. I don't feel like it. Um, or that hurts. I want to move away from it. So you escape maintain behaviors or things like if I touch something hot, I move my hand away because it burns. It's also, I don't want to do my homework. So I scream <laughs> or, um, that thing is scaring me. So I hit it and try to run away. Those are all, I'm trying to get out behaviors. So if we see that we've got a child that just needs some relief and just needs to get away from the stress of, um, of, this, of this world that we're in right now, how do we fulfill that need? So going through and going, okay, this behavior, this, this strange stuff that's going on, I think it might be because they just need a break. How do I give them the skills and the tools to get that break and the things that they need to be able to do that? Um, the next one we'll look at is attention. So look at me, see me, talk to me, uh, make fun faces with me, play with me, all those sorts of things. And this is definitely one that a lot of people are missing out on. Social distancing is kind of the antithesis of, of attention. It's the, the, the specific uh, removal of a lot of attention in a child's life. So if we see like, okay, maybe it's, it's an attention thing. How do we make sure that we're getting quality attention in, in place. And one of the things that I throw out to most parents um, as something to do is, can we schedule 10 minutes a day where it's one-on-one -on -one play with one adult, mom, dad, grandparent, close um, person within your pod, but just, just child and, and adult where you do whatever the child wants to do that isn't technology. So you can do any game, any silliness, any songs, and having that special time once a day can be enough to satiate some of those attention needs. So we've talked about escape, we've talked about attention. The next one I want to talk about is automatic. So things that just feel good. So that can be like, you might see me messing with my hair. It's because it's soft. I, I don't want to get out of anything. It's not because I want you to look at me, you know, messing with my own hair. It's just, it feels soft. It feels nice to my fingers. Um, but we can think of all those sensory things that kids aren't getting right now, like the sound of a crowd we're missing or the, the smell of the grocery store or the feeling of um, grass under your feet when you're playing barefoot soccer on your backyard with all of your neighbors. You know, there's, there's all these little sensory things that we're missing. And if we're, especially for around a specific um, time of year or a specific holiday and going, okay, what sensory things could we be missing here? That could be a part of why we're feeling, you know, a little bummed out or a little off. And can we replace those sorts of, um, those sorts of inputs and see what we can do there. So we've got our escape, we've got our attention, we've got our automatic, and then we've got tangible is your next big one. Tangible is things. I want that iPad. I'd like to watch Peppa Pig now. Um, give me all of the crayons. Um, I'd really like another apple, all those sorts of things. So if we look at the different things kids are missing right now, as far as tangibles, um, we can see a lot of stuff like going to the pool may not be available and that, that big thing, of course, there's, there's other, um, other functions that could be in that as well, but there's, there's a lot of things that we're missing on being able to have access to and how can we try to fill some of those needs. And then the last one is any mix of those. <laughs> so when you think about it, there's a lot of different things. If I just would really like to go to my favorite restaurant and sit down and have a cup of tea, I'm missing out on the sensory feelings of the sound of the people moving around me, the smells of that place. I'm missing out on the attention of talking to somebody without a mask. I'm missing out on the feeling of my favorite couch there, you know, all those little things. And where I, as an, an adult, am able to talk through those things and go, okay, Kelly, you know, I, I see what you're missing and I'm, I, I can find other ways to fulfill those needs in the moment. Children just feel missing and they haven't gained the skill set to be able to break it down to each little piece and figure out like what, what would make this better. So if we as adults can take a moment and go, okay, like birthday's coming up. What are the things that usually come in that we might want to get away from? Like, oh yeah, there's that one, you know, screaming child. We really don't like the, the loud friend that gets really excited, the pinata. So we can, we can reduce that. That's an easy one during COVID. Or, you know, we really, the flavor of cake. Okay, that's something we can bring in. Um, the sound of a bunch of people. Could we have, you know, uh, if we're going to do virtual, can we have a couple different screens so we can look around and see the people and hear them? Would that kind of create that group feeling? And you, you got to get creative, man. You got to get real creative. But 
that's, that's a really, um, that's the way that I look at it as a behavior analyst. I love it because, you know, I mean, not everyone looks at, uh, from uh, your perspective, as you said, you know, like uh, all these uh, different uh, areas uh, that you look at and, uh, and the fact that what's missing now you're trying to uh, give them that and have that available to them. And especially with these time and age, uh, I feel like you are really most of the time, uh, all these kids are spending so much time with their family. Um, they are also on the flip side, they're having good times. And, and then while there are other kids who are not as lucky as others, uh, they're also soaking in all the negative aspect of uh, other than they would have gotten otherwise some positive uh, socialization somewhere else. Um, so talk, let's talk a little bit about like, especially with your background, I wanna uh, touch base on this for sure. Um, we all know like, you know, there have been research done, like how uh, all these old, uh, you know, social stigmas and uh, the requirements of like, boys don't cry and definition of man up and toxic masculinity and all that. And, you know, girls don't throw like a girl. Um, they have very negative impact on us as adults when we grow up. And uh, from, I, I wanna, Take, get your perspective and get your understanding of what that is and how are some of the ways that we can uh, combat that and be mindful. Certainly. So from a behavior analytic perspective, when we look at specific words, um, quite often we're going to go deep into the verbal behavior behind them. And specifically the way that, that I like to look into them is through what's called relational frame theory. And that's not something that I'm gonna say like, oh yeah, I'm the expert, talk to me about, about RFC. No, but I have, I, it's the frame through which that I um, am able to break these things down again from a behavior analytic perspective. And there are certainly people who will, will be more thorough in this. So if you have a comment section and another behavior analyst wants to get deeper into it, I, I cannot wait to read what your, uh, what your input is. But if we look specifically at man up and then together man up. Man, the word man, has the, the connotations that run with it and the feelings that run with it. So we, we may have male, we may have large, we may have tough, all those different connector words, connector feelings, um, depending on our situation that might be also like scary or um, domineering, there, there might be other words that come in with that. And then up, we've got you know things that are lifted, things that are up high. We've got a lot of different words and feelings and, and different frames through which we can see that. And when we put those together, it's the lifting up of those almost stereotypes, I think might be a good word. And what we're seeing in that moment is we're seeing this is what is good and everything else is not. So you are not good if you are not able to man up. And the, the way that I look at this as, a, as something that flies out of someone's mouth is we've got a, a trigger, then they say that, and then a, a consequence from that. And consequence in behavioral analysis just means what happens after. Doesn't mean good or bad, just what happens after. So let's say we've got a child crying and we, we hear an adult say man up, what are they hoping that consequence will be? That they'll stop crying, that they will um, puff out their chest and act tough, that they will never have an emotion again. There's all these different things that can be connected to it. And most of them, when you actually break it down that way, aren't super positive. Um, most of them are things that encourage us to, to not behave to not have any feeling, to not have any reaction, to just like something bad happens, be dead. <laughs> and how incredibly unhealthy is that when we, are, when we are alive to be alive? And when we look at, when we take it backwards from that consequence back to the behavior of, of saying man up, so we were hoping, you know, quite often, if we're gonna say that, we're hoping that the person just acts dead and does nothing now. Well, why did I say that? Because I, I needed to do something to change what this little person was doing. Why did I wanna change that? Because as you've said before, society 
would look badly upon it, that I, I'm having a moment of insecurity. I'm having a moment of this is, this is a bad behavior that needs to change this crying. And seeing that I've chosen that would either mean that it's been chosen with me. So I was the child and the adult did that for me. So there's a learning history there, or I have seen it where other people did it. And it, the consequence, what happened after was, you know, what I had hoped to see. And it can also be just a moment of, again, I, I don't know what other tool to use right now. I, I, this is a stressful situation and I, that, that escape behavior, like we talked about a little earlier, I need to escape this uncomfortableness. And if I just tell this child to man up and get them to hush, it's not as uncomfortable anymore. So it's, it can, it can fall back on, um, a lot of different things. And it's very interesting as you break it down and look at all the, the different things that are associated with each part of the word and the different things that are associated with each part of the behavior and how those play together to create this really unfortunate situation that is just about trying to make something uncomfortable stop. Yeah. And uh, to me, it almost feels like you're, as you said, you're constantly trying to avoid uh, your own emotions because you don't have the tools. You just don't have the tools because you never received it, right? And when I say you, I mean the subject here who uh, we are saying that, you know, is trying to hush the kid. And that's just, it's, and then it's a pattern. Then you are constantly uh, moving through a pattern unless someone decides to take some actions and work on themselves and trying to get to the bottom of it, as you said, like, you know, break it down, bring those, uh, actually sit down with it and figure out why am I saying what I'm saying? And That's of course, hard words, too. words, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that's exactly what you mentioned, you know, like how your, how your perception of each word is. And uh, it can be just, uh, yeah, it can get pretty uh, layered and uh, complicated pretty soon, depending on uh, different ways of uh, seeing and perception, not just the environment, but the gender role, the feelings, the emotions, parenting, there's so many aspects of it. Um, and I, I like what you said that, you know, just to understand and really kind of look at that from the words perspective, because that's what you were saying with the man and what are some of the words that come together and be aware of that. That probably is a very good start uh, for anyone who is trying to, uh, you know, like who is just by habit using these. Um, and how, how do you see, um, you know, like this behavior affecting as a kid now? So that was my second part. Uh, when they grow up, they're constantly carrying that experience with them, right? Uh, and when it's time, they don't have the tools necessarily, of course. I mean, that's how they're, they're going. What would some of your uh, couple of uh, strategy that you can think of that all these people can use uh, to at least, at least even give them a chance to get started to think otherwise? Certainly. So there's two different things with that. And I'm going to start with your second piece, which is what, what can we do to break away from this? And there's, when we're looking at, we have a habit or it's flying out of our mouth before we realize it. And we've now noticed like, I'm ready to change this. Um, habit reversal is a great way to get moving forward through that. So the first step is to recognize when you do it. And it's even better if you can record it, even if it's just like a little mark on a paper or if you've got a little clicker that you're clicking and just recognizing like how often am I actually doing this? Cause if it's flying out of your mouth, you're not feeling it before it does. Um, then we just need to recognize when it's happening from there, we can start going, okay, what would I, what would I rather be saying in that moment in, from the perspective of what do I want to change this consequence to be? So we had those kids that are growing up you know, trying to deaden their emotions so that they can be like their parents who deaden their emotions, whose parents deaden their emotions. And again, they're, they're, they're not living through. If I go, okay, I don't, I don't want that anymore. Then how do I look back at my words and create a, a way for me to still access 
that that escape still get out of this uncomfortable situation because if that's the reason that I was using those words I still need to honor that as a need in myself but do it in such a way that I'm respecting the feelings of my child and allowing them to to um maintain their feelings and allowing them to work through this situation without just shutting them down immediately. Um, Cause it, it's effective to scare children. It does stop behavior, but it's not, it's not a good choice. <laughs> it's not our first choice by goodness. It shouldn't be our last. Um, there's so many other things that we can do besides fear and violence to, um, to help kids grow up into, into wonderful adults. So let's, let's see what we can do to avoid that. Um, the other piece that I wanted to touch base on that you alluded to was kind of why does this stuff happen and how does it affect the child as they grow up? And there's two, um, there's two studies that are quite old that were done on animals and have been um, replicated through the years with humans, not so much in this exact same format, um, because these are not these are not very pretty studies. So I'm gonna I'm gonna preface that 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 these are not kind things that people did to animals in order to figure this stuff out, and I don't support it. Um, nonetheless, I'm gonna take a moment to talk about it so we understand the science behind it. So the first one was looking at habituation, where they had an animal that was within an enclosed space and they began to send electric shocks through the floor. And at first the animal reacted to it continuously, trying to get away from it. And after a while, they just laid down in the corner and took it. And if our words are doing that same thing, if they're causing habituation, again, it becomes that deadening and that I just can't fight it anymore and that giving up. And that's usually not a, a personality trait we're hoping to instill in our children. You know, we want them to be able to stand up for themselves and to, and to walk in proudly. And if we're hitting them, hitting them, hitting them with these, um, with these sorts of phrases that, that are bringing them down, then we might see, like we saw um, with the dog, that these, they, they just start taking it. And then they're in a world of, well, I just take it. The world hurts. I just take it. And, and that's not a healthy place to be. The second study is um, with, with two animals where one was, was shocked and then the other was unable to defend itself. So it was, it was in a position where it, it couldn't defend itself. And the one that was shocked consistently would attack the one that was vulnerable. And we see that a lot with kids. The one that is hurt will attack the more vulnerable. And we've just created this, this really unfortunate situation where we, we may have stopped a behavior in the moment, but did we create a situation now where we're, this person is looking for the next victim because they have this feeling that they now need to get out. Um, and then they're looking for the next victim. They're looking for the next victim. And it's, it's not from a malicious side. It's just a, oh, I gotta I go, I gotta get this out. Like someone went after me, now I have to go after you. And you can see this in siblings. You can see this in school. Like if, if uh, the big kid punched me and I'm not gonna punch them back, then I'm gonna punch the smaller kid. And we, we very quickly um, can really push forward some unfortunate parts of, of our culture and society by choosing to do things that, that could be harmful but effective and still not the good choice. This is so true. I mean, I'm glad you brought it up um, because that's exactly what happens. It's just not just coming from parents. That's another angle. Uh, I'm so glad we kind of are talking about that. It's not just from the parents or the families itself. Even the kid who has a sibling, who have a sibling, uh, might be one or two, doesn't matter. If that sibling is taking that everything, all the hurt, like, you know, like we talk about it, like hurt people, hurt people, or like heal people, heal people. Exactly. Um, you're taking it on your sibling. Eventually, it easily can be seen. Uh, and being an engineer, I'm just, I try to put one-on-one -on -one together. I'm pretty sure the one who is also taking it, if there's no intervention, that now, that guy is now transpired to be the other and then he will find another victim so it just the cycle continues and it kind of spreads right like there's three choices you'll either become a bigger victim you'll become the next um perpetrator or if you're very lucky you might 
be unaffected by it in the end, but it likely in very small ways, you'll either end up um, a, a bigger victim continuously or a perpetrator in the long run. And right, and that's exactly, uh, I guess I'm gonna take you uh, to my next couple of questions. And I know I promised you 45 minutes. I know you're busy, so. <laughs> I'm I saw, a big talker, I'm sorry. I saw, the talk, I saw the clock ticking. I'm like, okay, I will respect your uh, time. I try to respect my guests. I'm, sometimes it just goes, just the talk just goes. So it's very hard to uh, stop, but uh, so quick, couple of quick things. Um, when you see uh, a kid like that, right? For say, for example, uh, just taking that example and something to give back to my listeners uh, from this episode, just to kind of run a, a role play here. And you see something in a kid who is hurt and who is already being taking that, the same thing that we just discussed, um, taking it on his siblings or on his friend. How do as a parent or as, a, as an adult, we can intervene in a healthy way so that they understand? Wonderful. So this is the stuff I love. Really, really simple. First thing to look at is where is the, where's the feeling coming out of? Is it coming out of our hands, our feet, our mouth? Because, um, you know, if it's coming out of our hands, it's probably hitting, punching, putting holes in walls, feet, kicking. Oh, we might see spitting. We might see screaming, yelling, crying, uh, cursing, all those things. We go, okay, where's it coming out of? Great. Let's say it's cursing. It's urine, you know, all those lovely words. What else can we do? Like we need to get something out of our mouth. All right. Can we do a cathartic scream into a pillow? What can we do? What can we give you another way to get that feeling out in a slightly more healthful way? And until we're able to control the use of that feeling and go, okay, I'm feeling frustrated. I'm going to, you know, do something else that's completely calm and peaceful. Before we get there, we need to find a way to turn that really venomous um, reaction into something very similar, something just as easy and something a little bit more healthful. So um, we do a lot at the, you can see there's a couch behind me. We do a lot of punching couches here. Like if you need to get your anger out through your hands until you're able to you know, control it and we can give you some more skills there, let's go. <laughs> do, are we punching slow or are we punching fast? Or what, what are we doing? Cause we can, we can just shift it a little bit so that we, the child has a little more control over what they're doing. They're, they're, they can make a, a slightly kinder choice. And from there, we can, we can work on those skills of self-regulation. But again, first, first you need the outlet. Like mm -hmm. if you need to get it out your hands, if that's where it's coming out, let's get it out somewhere safer. And what if they don't have that kind of outlet at a moment? Uh, say, for example, you're in a classroom and you are suddenly like at a point where you're like, oh, I, I got to release. And of course now uh, that's socially unacceptable, I'm assuming, all right? Like you're not like, gonna just uh, start punching your uh, bag or, because people will judge. And that's not a thing we can go completely digress from that topic. Like it's it's not as big deal as we make it. It should be acceptable. There are things that we, even I feel like teachers need to be trained on, I feel like, because you're dealing with kids. So that's completely separate thing that I can go into. Um, but uh, keeping to the topic, so how, how, how will that help them like when they're in a position or what kind of suggestions do you have for them? Certainly. So if we've got a kiddo that is, is having a whole bunch of feelings, say in a classroom situation, in a situation where we can't just stand up and, and punch a pillow without being judged, we still know that we've got a lot in our hands. So we might do some squeezing and releasing. We might do squeezes together, might do like squeezes on our arms having a fidget available that you can squeeze or gently mush or hit. Um, Mr. Rogers uh, has a great, great episode where he talks about being upset and having Play-Doh and, you know, hitting the dough and getting his frustration out that way. Um, so with younger kiddos, having something like that available that is, is innocuous and that is the way you play with it can be helpful. As you get toward teens, um, having different things like a, a bracelet that has some squeeze to it that you can mess with, or again, just trying to look at if that's where if that's where the behavior is coming out of, that's where we're going to start. Um, and then looking at what's already in this child's environment and what can be what can be used forward. My favorite thing with classrooms is just having a way for a kid to ask for a break. Like if there's a safe place they can go within the classroom or another area they can walk to, or if it's a school that's set up where they can take a quick walk outside, I am way more concerned that we don't flip any tables than if we are uh, able to count to three in this moment, you know? Um, in the long run, academics are so incredibly important, but in this moment, if all we're gonna do is either 
not do the work and flip a table or not do the work and take a walk, oh, let's, let's walk, let's do yeah. it. Um, so just giving away again for that escape that, that they can do that's more healthful. Beautiful. And another thing that I like to talk about, and I want to get your opinion on that, because, you know, uh, I'm very passionate about this, right? Being a dad and like, you know, doing all these things for uh, parents and kids. Um, the other day, I was just kind of like looking at a few things. And every time I see that I'm trying to, you know, like he's three and he's, he's very good at the, uh, my son uh, most of the time. And uh, he's pretty mature than his age that as you would, you would think. And uh, one thing that I'm seeing that, and I, I pay attention what's working, what's not working. One thing I literally wrote down the other day, like timeout is not working. If I tell him timeout, the behavior, the negative behavior increases. So one thing I tried doing last week for the first time is I'm trying to take the timeout as a negative connotation attached to it. And I'm basically giving him that me time. And I'm basically like, this is your time. Take your time. You can go either to my room, my office, or in your room. Doesn't matter. It's not a punishment. Just take your time. Do whatever you want to do. And of course, don't do any scary stuff. That's risky. <laughs> uh, but you know, just do whatever you want to do. That that. And it took him a while, but last week for the first time, I saw like he was like really surprised. He was like, "Oh, it's not a." I didn't use the word timeout. So just kind of picking your brain um have you seen that work being helpful or is it something there's not timeout is a good thing using that negative connotation is a good thing or a bad thing and whatnot so what's your take on that very infrequently do i suggest the use of timeout because there's a lot of different first of all any sort of punishment so punishment in behavior analysis meaning something that is specifically targeted at reducing instances of behavior I tend to avoid because again, living is behavior. We want more behavior. We just want more of the stuff that's that's more helpful. So the way that you're going about is actually the way that I usually suggest and going like, hey, in this moment, we're, we're not regulating. From an adult side, I'm going, oh, in the moment, we're not regulating ourselves. We can't handle this thing. We really just need a sec to be able to like get this under control. Instead of it being like, you're in trouble, get out of here. It's Hey, this, like you said, this is, this is your time. Quite often we'll have visuals prepared. That's like, what can I do as the adult to help you leave me alone or give me a hug or give me some water or something like that. So we're coming in as the, the mature bringer of tools instead of the big bringer of bad things. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, how do I help you through the situation? And as the adult, I'm telling you, you need to have some you time because as the adult, I can see the lack of regulation. As a child, you don't feel that yet. And what can I do to help you through this moment instead of what can I do to stop you from behaving that way again? And what you're doing and what I like about what you're doing is you're creating a tool set for when I'm frustrated, I don't take it out on this person, scream at them and tell them who they are and, you know, rah, 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 rah. instead I take a step back and I can think about it and I can I can use some other tools when I'm starting to feel really agitated. And you're starting to see, even at three yeah. years old, which is so beautiful, your child is, is going like, oh, wait, this is a tool. Like, it's no big deal. I can, I can do this. And then dad's really proud of me. And this is, this is really cool. Like, that was a hard moment, but it's turned out pretty good. Versus like, that was a hard moment and I never want it to happen again. Well, yeah, it was such a learning experience for me, you know, uh, because I was uh, just kind of like hacking my brain. I'm like, man, I mean, and then I'm always like researching and finding stuff. I'm like, okay, I got to figure something out. Like, you know, just like anything else, like this timeout is not working with him. And there are things that he needs to be disciplined, right? Because this is the time they're, they're learning few things, good and bad. So there are times he made some mistakes and I did tell him that. And I used to tell him that. And now, the fact, the way he took the me time over the timeout, even that's a learning experience for me because I was just trial and error. And it was such a, an amazing moment that then he asked me, I remember he asked me that, uh, and I show him clock, like longhand, when the longhand go here, five minutes, then you can shut the TV off or then you can, then you need to stop the, uh, stop playing with your uh, laptop or whatnot. So he asked me like, how long? So I gave him like 10 minutes and he actually went to his room and he kept coming back, making sure they're long. And 
it's just fascinating, as you said, overall, it's just such a learning experience for them. And when there's a, there's a way, they will always accept it. They will never deny it. It's amazing. It's just the, just the behavior, just the changing, as you said, exactly, you're talking about that a little while ago, the words we are choosing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because again, each one of those words has all those connotations, all those feelings and connections. And quite often, the first thing we do with kids is we give them a new way to ask for us to do what they want us to do. So it isn't, no, I don't want to do it this way. You know, give me that thing, give it back. Hey, look at me. It's just an innocuous thing they've never said before. And we go, oh, of course, let's do it. Let's do it the way you want to do it. No problem. And they're like, oh, I can just use my words. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have screen. I don't have to hit anybody. You're just going to do it the way that I would like. Cool. And then from there, we can develop further. Like, okay, how do you tolerate when it doesn't come immediately? And how do you, you know, wait? And how do you, what do you do when somebody actually says no? And it's an absolute no. Um, but yeah, starting with that, how do we change our words around it? changes everything and I, I love that you saw that in practice no I, I I know like it's amazing just to see that and uh, as you said you know I really liked how you said it like you know instead of coming in as adults as a bear of good news we just come in like I'm gonna bear some bad news now because I cannot think anything else right now for me this is the control I want I need this to shut up so then they are learning the same tool so it's exactly. so fascinating to be uh, in our own self. And I feel like as a parent, we get a second chance in life to make some, do some right, uh, you know, change something uh, that is that we never would have changed. So that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. So thank you so much, Kelly. Really appreciate you coming in. Um, and uh, as I said, like overall, uh, what you're doing, your mission and your, what you're, how you're serving uh, is very dear to my heart. So definitely I will reach out to you offline on a few other things, but uh, I really appreciate your freebies. So let's talk a little bit about like, so Kelly have done uh, or is giving out a freebie, uh, especially with these times. Um, and, you know, like a lot of people have lost their job. They don't have the resources. So uh, really, I mean, uh, it's generosity. Thank you so much about uh, giving her uh, some freebies about, uh, so why don't you uh, gonna give a quick uh, uh, information on the freebies that uh, people can get it and download it from the show notes and on your website? Absolutely. So specifically for listening to this podcast, you're gonna have access to a, a visual that will have a bunch of different things that you can use instead of saying man up. So if you're having those moments where you're you're saying this or, or things similar that you want to change or you would like to have some new replacement words to use. I made a whole list of 10 different ones that you will have access to um, as soon as you, as you click into that page um, and sign in. So what, there, what do listeners have to do? So they need to click mm -hmm. on the link that yep. I will have on my show notes. And where mm -hmm. do they go from there? Put in your first name and email. It'll be sent right to you. That'll also okay. put you on our, um, our free resources, tips and tricks email. It's just once a week. We don't want to spam you, but we want to make sure that we we're getting out as much free material as possible. You can reply to that email at any time to request what you want to see on there. We've had a number of people request specific blog posts or for us to go into a deep dive for a month on a specific subject. More than happy to do that. Um, we also have free initial consultations. So at any time somebody just wants to do a 30 minute consult, no problem. We've got our link on our website. Um, we've got our blog going. We're just we recognize how much need there is in the world. The science is not owned by me. It's not owned by my company. So we are doing our best to make sure that the good applications of this science are available to everybody, even if the budget is zero. Now, guys, uh, definitely go and check her website out. I was on her website uh, and then I was checking a few things out. So definitely I'll have to, I'll already I'm planning to talk to Kelly offline for a little while but um, again uh, for the listeners for this podcast this episode uh, as Kelly said like there will be a link uh, to uh, the page where she would uh, have that freebie of uh, a list of words and visualization that you guys you can use uh, instead of man up and any other uh, negative uh, connotation or any sort of phrases towards your kid at the uh, spur of the moment. So having said that, uh, thanks for listening to this episode. And Kelly, thank you so much once again for uh, joining me behind the mic. Um, a pleasure. And 
any parting uh, advice for parents and uh, children? Yes, you deserve support. Don't tell yourself otherwise. Beautiful, beautiful. And I think like this just goes with your mission. Mm -hmm. And um, as you said, like, you know, as parents, we have this thing about like, oh, if I don't know anything, that means I'm a failure versus no, a parent is just like any other job. You need to learn the tools and uh, and you need to work with uh, people like Kelly and her organization and what they're doing. So go check her website out. They're doing some amazing work and some of the amazing courses out there too. And uh, Kelly, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate it. Keep serving. And here's to the another episode of uh, Dads and Deadlifts. Uh, again, don't forget to reach out. You are not alone. And I will see you on next episode. Until then, goodbye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. And I hope you are as excited as I am learning from our guest today on the specific topic. Please subscribe, share, and leave a comment and tag Dads and Deadlifts on Instagram and Facebook with your experience of today's episode. Because remember, your one share might save someone from feeling alone and provide them the tools they can incorporate in their daily lives. Let's each of us do our part in helping men around the world. You can personally message me on my Facebook page or Instagram page, Dads and Deadlifts, if you want your story to be shared on the podcast, or if you just feel alone and want someone to reach out to. Always remember, you are not alone. All you got to do is reach out, and I am rooting for you. Until next week, your host Rish signing off. I will see you next week with another brand new episode.